you will, please stand with me at the reading of the beginning of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Acts 1, verses 1 through 9. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. You may be seated. What we're about to do with uh, the book of Acts is not something that I would do at the beginning of the series necessarily. Um, and it's not something that I want to recommend uh, to, to students um, uh, in your in your classwork to readers of books who would be uh, maybe lazy or delinquent and in your own study of of books um, uh, there but there is a reason why uh, lazy students like like the kind of student I used to be when I was a teenager uh, would read the beginning of a book and then just read the end of the book and then write a book report or get ready for a quiz or whatever. I'm not recommending that kind of approach, but now that we've actually gone through the whole book together as a church, I'm, I would like to reflect upon the book in that way. I do think that we can get a real sense of what this book is about by paying close attention to the beginning, paying close attention to the middle, and then paying close attention to the end. Let's remember the book of Acts by remembering the beginning. That's point number one. Remember the beginning of the book of Acts, which we just read. Uh, we started the series with a theme that I draw really out of the, the opening verses of the book. The theme of the entire book was this. The ascended Lord sends His Spirit to spread His Word. Uh, that, that is the sermon in a sentence because I think that's what the book of Acts is saying in a sentence. The ascended Lord sends His Spirit to spread His Word. We, we heard that sentence basically in these first nine verses. Let me, let me break this up into three parts. Part number one uh, is the main thing that, that uh, Jesus does in the beginning of the whole book, and that is that He ascends. We saw that in, in verse 9. All of a sudden, after Jesus gives this instruction to His people, it says He's taken up. In verse 9, he's taken up, he's lifted up, and a cloud took him out of 
their sight. He ascended. That's the main thing that we see Jesus do in the book of Acts. In the first book, Luke says at the beginning of Acts 1, in the first book, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That is, when the Son of God descended, when He came to earth as a man, so that He could die for man. In the first book, the Gospel of Luke, it's the story of, of what, what Jesus was doing when He descended, when He took on flesh, when He died on a cross, when He was raised from the dead. And the second book is all about what He did once He ascended. The ascension of the Lord Jesus matters to Christians. Because Jesus returning to heaven is proof that He succeeded in what He came to earth for. This is why it should matter to you that Jesus has ascended into heaven. Because it proves, as He returns to heaven, that He succeeded in the reason He came to earth. So, some people might say about Christians that we're fools for believing in this guy who we can't see, who doesn't appear to us you know, visibly or speak to us audibly. And, and my response to that from from books like the book of Acts, is, no, this is actually a good thing for us. That we don't see Him face to face yet. We don't hear Him speaking in our presence audibly. That He's not walking around this earth anymore. Because our King was taken up in glory. The King we worship has been taken up in glory because He's already accomplished His work. That's the one we Adore. He ascended. That's part number one. Part number two is, is the result of His ascension. The ascended Lord sends His Spirit. He ascended for this very purpose, to send the Spirit of God to us. That's what He says. Look, look there in verse 5. When He's about to ascend, He says, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized. That means filled with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. He said it this way at the end of the book of Luke. He said, I will send you the promise of my Father. And I will clothe you with power from on high. He ascended to send His Spirit. In other words, the physical absence of Jesus does not keep Jesus from being spiritually active. On the earth. The Spirit has come. And then the third part of this sentence, the third part of what Acts ends up explaining is once the Spirit comes, the Spirit sends witnesses out. Look how he says that in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the way he put it at the end of the book of Luke. He said, the Christ was to suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And then repentance for the forgiveness of sins would 
would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem to the end of the earth, that Christ suffered, that he rose from the dead, and now repentance, turning from our sins for the forgiveness of our sins, that's what should be proclaimed in all the earth. And he said, you are witnesses of this. And he passes this on to us today. We are witnesses of this very thing, that this happened to our Lord. So you can ask questions, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in our world, in my lifetime? And you might be thinking about all the divisions happening in the United States, all the troubles that our country is facing. That's typical of Christians in our country to think that Jesus would especially be focused on the United States. Or maybe it would be broader. What would Jesus do if, if he were walking the earth right now? And you think about maybe what he would do with regard to COVID or the unrest we're seeing in the Middle East. And maybe he would be involved in that kind of thing. Maybe. But we have an answer of what he's doing right now. We don't have to wonder what he would do because he is acting right now. The ascended Lord sent his spirit to spread his word, to send out witnesses who have his word to speak it. David Helm summarizes the the book of Acts in this way. It is the heart-breaking triumph of the word. That's what Jesus is doing. He's breaking hearts with the triumph of His Word. Look in chapter 2, how immediately when the Spirit comes upon God's people from Christ, He sends out His witnesses. Pentecost happens in chapter 2. And then all of a sudden, people start speaking of the great works of God. And then one preacher stands up, Peter, and he preaches the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 37, notice what happens. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart or their hearts were broken. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are doing exactly what Christ wants them to do. They're filled with the Spirit to spread the Word of Christ and then people's hearts are broken and and God triumphs over them and brings them to Himself. Christian, this has happened to you. You have been won over by the heart-breaking Word of Jesus Christ. And you have a purpose of filling your world with the knowledge of your Savior. If you wonder what Jesus wants to do in your life, it's not, I mean, don't, don't, don't think that He is in this lifetime going to make all the wrongs in your life right. That's not what He's doing right now. But He is enabling you to be all right amidst all the wrongs in your life. He wants you to recognize that God has made him king and that he can rule over you and give you peace 
even as you face great wrongs in this world. Because He has handled the greatest wrong in the world. This morning I I woke up and I want to share with you, I guess, a little bit of my experience when I woke up this morning. What, what, what Sundays can be like for a preacher. I, I come up here and I, and I pray out of weakness and confessing my weakness because I really believe it. This morning I was feeling it especially that I am not sufficient to do what God has called me to do today. That I'm not qualified to do this. That I am not feeling awesome about my role in the worship service. I think someone else should do this, not me. I am too weak. I am too sinful. My faith is not great enough to then call these people to believe in the Lord Jesus. That is often what happens on Sunday morning. For I, I trust many preachers of the Word, certainly this preacher of the Word. Then I thought about what today is. Why it is every week I experience this. Every Sunday in my life, I, most Sundays, preach the Gospel. Because it was on a Sunday that our King did what no one else can do. He got out of His grave. He rose from the dead. And so, my sufficiency has never been part of the equation. I come to proclaim to you the King who conquered our greatest enemy and who is sufficient for all of us. And this is why you should do this every Sunday. Because you are not sufficient. You are not worthy. You are not good. You are filled with sin. You are weak. But our King is not. And we come to say, He is worthy of our life. So we gather every single Sunday for Him. The ascended Lord, who rose in glory and sends His Spirit to spread His Word. That's what the beginning of Acts tells us, and we should remember it. We should also, though, remember the middle of the book of Acts. That's point number two. Remember the middle of the book of Acts. There's a theme that, I don't know if you would have caught this as we walked through the book. I would have called attention to it every once in a while. But I don't know if you saw this, but I really want you to remember this. There is a progress report. It's kind of like a report card for the ascended Lord Jesus and how he's doing while he's not here on earth, while he's taken up in glory. Is he just sitting up there resting? Is he just up there playing golf or riding his horse like a lot of people think we're going to be doing in heaven? This is a progress report that runs throughout the middle of the book of Acts. I want you to see the the first sign of this in chapter 6, verse 7. I don't want you to miss how significant these singular, these single verses are in the book of Acts throughout the middle. Chapter 6 and verse 7. Listen to this. And the Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples, that is, followers of Jesus Christ, that is, people who 
devote their whole life to the king who want to live for him and deny themselves. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the first incident where this kind of sentence is given. I'll give you the rest in just a minute. I want you to see how significant that sentence is. I don't know if you heard it at the first reading. I want you to listen for two words in particular in this verse. See if you can hear them. They're, they are two of the most important words in all of the Bible ever since page one of the Bible. Listen again. Five chapters in. To this great work, the ascended Lord Jesus is doing the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Did you hear the two words? I want you to keep your place in the book of Acts and then go to page one of your Bible, page one of your Bible, where we're going to see those first those two words for the first time. Page one, Genesis chapter one. And I want you to look, when God is creating this whole world, we're getting a sense of why he's creating the whole world, why any of this exists. Genesis chapter one, all of his creation works culminates in day six, whenever he's creating humanity. Look in Genesis one and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. That, that's a royal word. That means rule. Let them be kings of the earth. But they're in our image, uh, in God's image. That, that is a prince almost in the image of the king to show the world what God is like. But let them rule. That means that's why it says let them have dominion over all the, the creatures. And so, verse 27, God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All humanity exists for this reason, to be the image of God on earth, to rule for God on the earth. But listen, listen to verse 28. You, you, do you see the first... Are these two words. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful. That, that's a word for increase and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That is rule over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase and multiply. Are you an ambitious person? Humanity is made of a people who are filled with a desire to do something great. Isn't that true of you? Don't you want your life to count for something? I mean, you can see this at, at a very young age. Uh, I see it every Saturday on the soccer field when when kids are in some sense looking for greatness in sports. They're tempted. Every one of us, we we want to live for something great. We're we're all tempted to determine whether we're actually worthy of something, and we we're tempted to to identify our worth with whether we score a goal or. Whether we win the game or, or maybe you're not a sports person. Maybe it, your, your temptation came at a very young age in distinguishing yourself from other people in school. Have you seen your temptation for this? I certainly know it for me. Or maybe you're just 
you're just a mom. But even if you are giving your life to raising children and you're tempted to think that that doesn't matter, aren't you also tempted? to get a certain reputation and certain treatment from your own family who you're devoting yourself to. Or to gain a reputation among the other moms and how great you are at doing what you do. Everyone is born with this desire to do something great. Everyone lives in hope that we will be remembered. Can I ask you a question? Can you name your great, great, great grandfather? I mean, if he were going to be famous at all after he died, wouldn't you know him? Wouldn't you be able to tell us all about him? And don't you know that's your future too? We will live, we will die, and pretty soon no one will remember us. So be careful what you devote your life and your ambition to. There is something you can devote your life to. And that is what humanity was made for. You were made in the image of God for this reason, to increase and multiply so that the world would be filled Not with you and your fame, but with the fame of God. Because as people who are like Him and who love Him fill the earth, the fame of God fills the earth. The rule of God fills the earth. The glory of God fills the earth. The King and His good rule can spread throughout the whole world. And that is why you were born and that is worth living your life for. It's to show the whole world around you what God is like and how to honor Him. That is something that will last. Listen, children, if you want to give your little life to something in your class, in your home, in your relationship with your siblings, in your relationship to your parents, in your relationship to your teachers, adults, in your work, in your relationship to your spouse or your parents, in the community, This is something that you can give your life to. It's to show everyone in the world what Christ is like. That is your role in every situation. To say or to show in this situation to these people, what is my king like? I want you to understand that when we read these simple phrases in the book of Acts, all throughout the middle, that this is exactly in the center of what God created the world for. But that did not happen until the book of Acts. What God wanted from the beginning, He could not count on Adam or Eve to accomplish. They immediately did not give themselves over to God and live for Him as King. He could not accomplish it through you either. You would have done no better, but He has accomplished it in His Son. And that's why all of a sudden this language comes up Luke is making a point about what the ascended Lord is still doing even though He's not in our sight. Listen, for creation's purpose 
in the middle of the book of Acts. We've already read chapter 6, verse 7. Turn the page to chapter 9 and verse 31 and listen for this language again. After more happens through the Lord Jesus in the preaching of Christ, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea, this is throughout the whole world, right? And Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it, that word is significant, multiplied. Chapter 12, look in chapter 12 and verse 24. He just keeps on making this point. Chapter 12, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. This is right after King Herod accepts the glory of God. Look at that in verse 22. When he comes up and he sits on his throne in verse 21 and he delivers this great oration, it says that he took on his royal robes and then the people were shouting at this man who's living for himself. It says the voice of a God and not of a man. They're, they're giving him the glory of God and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Look in chapter 16 and verse 5. Chapter 16, we're going through the middle of the book. 16 and verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Look in chapter 19 and verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I'm trying to appeal to you to give your life to something that is going to prevail mightily. If you tried to live for yourself, there are people who did that and God struck them dead. He will not stand for it. But if you will live for His glory, if you will live your life, no matter what your role is in this world, to show what Christ is like, you will be doing exactly what God is committed to making happen. What are you worth? What are you worth? Don't mistake this. You're not worth the worship of anyone in your life. You are not worth that. You are not worth being respected by everyone around you. You are not worth people around you changing what they do to please you. You're not worth that. But what you are worth is not necessarily only determined by what is inherently valuable in you. There is an inherent value in, in a sinner. We deserve death and God's judgment. That's, that's what we are worth inherently. But you can also determine what something is worth by, by what another is, is determined to invest in you. Invest to get you. And God sent His Son with blood to die to save sinners. 
So this is a way to answer what you are worth. The blood of the Son of God. You're not worth the worship of anyone in your life, but you are worth the blood of the Son of God because He chose to gave his, give His blood for you if you're in Christ. Do you want to be part of something that is worthy of your life? That will be remembered. The purpose of humanity is finally being accomplished through the Spirit of Christ in the gospel preaching of the church. What this means is that you are not fully human until you know God's Son. I don't mean that to offend anyone here. I mean this to tell you the truth. And maybe your pride does need to be offended. If to be human, according to page one of the Bible, is to live for the glory of God, If you don't do that, you are not fully human. You're not living out your, you're not fulfilling your purpose. And the only one who did do that was Jesus Christ. He is the only true human, but he makes us fully human by coming to him and trusting in him and being forgiven of all of our sins. And then we can live for the purpose that God created this world and humanity. You will not bring him anything. Nothing of value when you bring yourself. He doesn't need you is what I mean. You don't impress him. But he will give you everything. He has everything and he will share with you all that you need if you just come to him in humility. The word of God is triumphing over All the earth. That's what the book of Acts teaches. And when God does that, He is fulfilling the purpose for which He made everything. If you're a Christian, this means that you can take part in the Creator's great ambition every time You act like God is the most important being in all of life. When your decisions and your words show that you think God is the greatest being in all of life, you are doing what the Creator's great ambition is. Whenever you prayerfully, whenever you gently, but clearly tell someone who is deceived that they need to be saved, that they need to be saved from neglecting Jesus. That they need to be saved from making light of Jesus. That they need to have Him as the King of their hearts. When you do that, prayerfully, gently, but clearly, you are taking part in the Creator's great ambition for all creation. When you sacrifice of your resources... And don't spend everything that you have for yourself, but do it for the King and do it for the good of others and do it in a way that will bless not only your life in this life, but will will matter in eternity. When you give to support the spread of the word, you are taking part in what God is doing throughout the book of Acts, what Jesus is meaning to do now and to spread his glory throughout all the earth. Whenever you speak truth in love 
to another Christian. You are doing this. Because we're so forgetful. And we need to be reminded. Our King has conquered. He loves us. And we should live to please Him. And we should trust Him. This is what God is most concerned about. And we can devote our lives and our lives won't be wasted if we do to that purpose. The ascended Lord sends his spirit to spread his word. We've looked at the beginning. We've looked at the middle. But let's look finally at the end of the book of Acts. Look in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And I'm going to read to us verses 28 through 31. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. This, as you remember from last week, is when Paul approaches the Jews who are in Rome and he preaches Christ. And he focuses on those who reject Jesus. And then he says this, God is taking the salvation from the Jewish people and he's sending it to the Gentiles because they will listen. Verse 30 says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Kevin DeYoung said this, the mission of the church is the message of the gospel. And we see that throughout the book of Acts. The mission of the church, what each church exists to do, is to spread the message of the gospel. If you're a Christian, then you are part of this mission. You have the same mission that Paul does. You are to be a witness of the word. So this entire series in the book of Acts was entitled this, Spread the Word. It's to get across this main application from the book of Acts. That we are to spread the word. That's what we exist as Christians to do. And notice in verses 30 and 31, we're to spread the word with and without. You see that in verses 31? 30 and 31? With and without. We are to spread the word that our king died and rose again, that he is God's king, and that you should listen to him. We're to spread that word with And without. We are to spread the word with all boldness. It's an amazing statement about the Apostle Paul that he was spreading the word with all boldness. He's under arrest in Rome and yet he's boldly witnessing. Boldness. John Stott described this kind of boldness with three words. It's candid, it's clear, and it's confident. Spread the word with all boldness. Be candid. Do not conceal the truth. You want to serve the King with all boldness? Don't hide hard truth from people you love because you're afraid of how they're going to react. That's boldness. It's candid. It's also clear. 
you should prayerfully labor, work hard to explain to people in your life about Christ. Explain to them the things they don't know about Him. They're not understanding. You should do that. If you're a Christian, that is your call to be bold. And and that means to be clear. You should care about getting to the point where you can explain it to them clearly and not leave it to other Christians in their life. You're the Christian that God is calling to do that. To witness or spread the word with all boldness also means to be confident. Without any fear of the consequences, in other words. That's what it means to be bold. Without any fear of what they can do to you. If you're a Christian, what can man do to you? What can people in your life do to you? We sang this earlier. Christ's our hope in life and death. And it spoke about how when Christ returns, and it said there and then, there we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be no more. That is what we're waiting for. There, when we rise to meet our Lord. And then, when sin and death will be no more. And before then, we won't see Him face to face and we'll still have to deal with people pushing back on us and giving us consequences that may be grave. But what is it they can take from us if we really truly believe in Christ? Be bold in your witness. The Apostle Paul then challenges us to not just spread the word with all boldness, but also without hindrance. Without hindrance. That is to say that he was he was surrounded by armed guards, but he was not hindered by them in spreading the word. This is in Rome. This is when Paul was in Caesar's backyard and Caesar's not stopping him from preaching about a different king who is above Caesar without hindrance. This is why we read 2 Timothy 2, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Without hindrance. There are lots of things that you can pray for in your life. There are lots of things that you can hope for in your life. And those very things may be things that Jesus is going to hinder, that He won't give to you, because they would ruin you. They would not be good. But you can also be sure of this, He will not let anything hinder this bold, unhindered witness of the Gospel. He will use the witness of His faithful believers to save all of His people. That won't be hindered. Without hindrance doesn't mean without obstacle. It doesn't mean without being rejected. Paul was rejected in this passage. But it does mean that the witness will be absolutely successful. Everyone who he died to save will be saved. And so we should all have unhindered boldness, remembering what we heard early, earlier. 
This is a trustworthy saying, and I'll close with it. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The ascended Lord sends his spirit to spread his word. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us not forget this book. That we would witness with all boldness and without hindrance. That we would trust that you've ascended into heaven and therefore you have sent your spirit to give us power to do what we could not do otherwise. Would you help us to remember that the great ambition of God should be the great ambition of God's people and that is to spread the glory of our King. God, would you help us to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.